after Jesus had made the statement that if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit, Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and so passes on? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not. There was a seminary student who once visited a blind man, and this student preacher had just enough training and counseling to be dangerous. He noticed that the fellow seemed somewhat glum as he came to visit him and said, well, you're, you're looking somewhat down in the dumps today. Do you want to talk about it? The blind man thought a moment and said, no, I, I don't care to talk about it. So the student preacher dug into his bag of tricks and realized, well, if I confront him a little bit, it might draw him out, and confrontation might produce a response and get him talking about what he's feeling. So he said, well, I'm guessing, and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, that perhaps you have grown weary of life because you can no longer see. The blind man thought a moment and said, no, I have grown weary of life because I can still hear. This ties in beautifully with Jesus saying, it's not what goes in to a person's mouth, but what comes out that defiles them. And I find it interesting that Jesus lumps together evil thoughts with murder and adultery, fornication, theft, all together with false witness and slander. You see, given our imperfect world and our attempts at justice, we see sins with different grades, first-degree murder, second-degree manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, and so forth. And Jesus is saying sin is sin. Christians are in a particular dilemma as to how to promote Christian values without passing judgment. How do you promote Jesus Christ without condemning people, without doing what the Pharisees did? See here in the law or the tradition, this is the way you're supposed to act. You didn't do that. Point the finger. You're wrong. How do Christians promote Christ without condemning? Well, I come back to this business of evil begetting evil. You see, when someone works evil, perhaps even against us personally, we have a response that is generally evil. Thinking evil thoughts or whatever, just like that tube suctioning the water out of the pot. Evil sort of draws evil forth. I have a very personal example I can use. In the past 48 hours, well, 
50 hours. When I left my home on Friday morning at 9 a.m., this lovely decorative sign with my house number on it that I had labored hard to replace the numbers and paint it and build a brick and concrete planter around it and planted pansies. It was there. When I left at 9 a.m., when I returned at 12 noon, it was gone. It was stolen. Boy, did I have some wicked thoughts the rest of Friday. What sort of person would do this? Must have been some no-account come up from White County. <laughs> then I went and talked to the police to get a report filed, and they said, oh, no, there are young people, either high school or college age, that they, they have, a, they have a, a scavenger hunt. He said, well, you know, last year, or, or maybe it was just a few days ago, it was in the newspaper, but they said at one point in time, they, they went out after all these decorative globes that people have in their gardens. You know, you have a concrete pedestal and a red globe or an orange globe or a silver globe. Well, this group, whoever it is, had, you know, they had stolen 300 of these things all around town. And the, the police have to go and fill out a report on all of these 50 or 100 or $150 items that your deductible, you know, your insurance company is not going to pay for anyway. So the police were scrambling on Friday because there had been a whole rash of thefts. So I'm thinking, oh, some students at Tech started spring break early. They ought to be flunked out. Maybe I should go talk to President Bell, fix them. Then I told Kristen, hey, you're good at finding things out. Go and ask around the high school. See if any high school students were doing this. I'll have my good friend, Errol Mays, go visit them. Well, by Saturday night, I realized I was defiled, and I had done most of the defiling. I can just stick some $1.50 numbers up on that brick planter now, <laughs> some reflector numbers. But who had done all the defiling? I was stewing about it. And you know, there are things we stew about for a lifetime. Whenever I think of defilement, I remember one of my roommates. There were four of us living together in an apartment at Lehigh University, and one of our roommates had had ten siblings. Huh, you think three is difficult. And obviously, as the chaplain at Lehigh pointed out to us, his family probably didn't have time or energy to keep toothbrushes sorted out because we determined. Well, you'll guess what we determined. I came into the apartment once, and one of my other roommates was sitting there with a wet toothbrush, and he said to me, Dave, I've been defiled. Michael has used the Holy of Holies. We went to Bible study that night at a chemistry professor's house, Dr. Tom Ortolano. He held Bible study in his house, and we turned to this passage. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but what <laughs> proceeds forth. Well, Bill bought a new toothbrush anyway. <laughs> Poor Bill. But look at what Jesus lumps together in here with evil that comes forth from our actions and our words when we respond to evil. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. Beware of gossiping. 
Jesus lumps these together with murder. He also spent a great deal of time saying that the prophecy is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand when the law will be written on people's hearts. Not in a book for other people to point a finger and find them guilty of breaking. My grandma, who had only an eighth grade education, she had to leave school when her father was struck by a trolley and had pressure on the brain that could not be relieved and spent the rest of his life in a hospital. She went to work at the age of 11 or 12. She had some of the most amazing sayings, and one of them was, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So don't be too proud of your PhDs. Um, it's amazing how the light of God comes through everyone. And it was true. You can point a finger and find fault as much as you want with a point of view, whether it's abortion or capital punishment or homosexual pastors. You can argue till you're blue in the face and not convince someone who's of a different opinion. To present Jesus Christ to people requires real work. It requires planning. It requires thought and sacrifice. You not only have to sit down and write what is the equivalent of a business or marketing plan, figuring out to whom you are going, what words you will use, what resources are demanded, what it's going to cost you, when you're going to do it, and how you're going to divvy up the time over this next year, and then how you're going to evaluate how things went. That's evangelism. Probably the churches that accomplish that can be counted on one's hand. ...at Menlo Park that I memorized because it had big words. I realized year, years later that he put this in, saying into big words simply because it proved the point. It was too hard to understand. And the saying was this, there is no expedient to which a man will not resort to avoid the true labor of thinking. Now how many people got to the word expedient passing through Menlo Park, got to the first multi-syllable word and said, whoop, let's go on and look at the record player he invented. It's hard work, and we avoid hard work, and the real hard work is the thinking part. You have to think. You have to question, am I open enough? Can I do this? Can I trust in God that God will give me the words to say at the right time? And so forth. It requires thought. Jesus found fault with the Pharisees because they were finding fault. They were pointing a finger at others. As he said elsewhere, they bound heavy burdens for others to carry and lifted not a finger to help. Jesus got into people's minds and persuaded by entering their heart. If I were to argue that capital punishment is wrong, there is not one person here or anywhere whom if they believed it was right would be persuaded by any information I could provide. 
If I were to argue that capital punishment was necessary, there is not one person here who believes it's wrong who would be persuaded by any statistics that I prove. I've mentioned on several occasions a man named Hector Black, so I, I will mention him once again. Hector can persuade me to open my mind, as we prayed earlier, open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. He could convincingly get me to think about changing whatever my thoughts are on capital punishment, and I will tell you why. Hector is one of our local Quakers, and he is a true pacifist, not a superficial pacifist that simply says war is wrong, but one who, with the Quaker Society of Friends, at the conclusion, not even the conclusion, during the final days of World War II, went with the Society of Friends to Europe as areas of France were liberated and helped in the rebuilding of homes, the sheltering of homeless, the feeding of the hungry, and the visiting of those alone who had lost loved ones occupation of the Nazis. Those few veterans who were in the areas where the Quakers were doing their work, at least the two that I know of, commented, those civilians made us proud to be Americans. They wouldn't carry a gun. They wouldn't fight. But they were there doing the work of Jesus Christ. They made a powerful statement to GIs who were present and saw this going on. They came all the way from the safety of the United States to work in war-torn Europe doing the work of Christ. They didn't have to argue a word about whether or not you believe the Bible or read your Bible. People saw it and were impressed and took Christ seriously as a result. Well, Hector Black, a few years ago, was doing Quaker ministry in Atlanta. And there he lived near to a woman who had two small children, two girls, whose husband had abandoned them. And Hector and his wife, Susie, formed with this woman a three-parent family. Those children spent a lot of time with Hector and Susie. And indeed, when they moved up to Jackson County, 17 miles north of here where they live today, those girls came and spent a lot of time with Hector and Susie vacations, weekends, and so forth. In fact, the influence of Hector and Susie in their lives caused one of these girls to become a social worker and work with at-risk teenagers in Atlanta so that they did not succumb to the irresponsibility and violence that so many teens succumb to. So it is with great irony, great tragic irony, that last year one, this girl surprised a burglar in her apartment and was murdered. Now that's not the end of the story. The funeral was held up at the Quaker settlement. She is buried up there, not a quarter of a mile from Hector's back door. His daughter. She considered him a father. She, he considered her a daughter. Last month, in the first week of February, as is a custom now in our law enforcement and judicial system, the victims of this crime were able to confront the person who was apprehended, tried, and convicted of the murder. And part of his sentence is to listen to whatsoever they had to say. 
Hector and Susie went. Hector called me. He needed to talk. He was torn. He felt sorry for and wanted the salvation of this man and at the same time wanted him put away where he could do no harm. He was wrestling between his conviction that capital punishment is wrong and his desire to remove this threat to society. I don't think any of us can know the kind of struggle that that confrontation caused for Hector. We can imagine. Those of us with children can imagine. Hector told me that he said one thing, well, amongst other things that he said, he said one thing to this man who had been found guilty of the murder. The death of either of us would diminish us both. Now, Hector does not have to argue his stance on capital punishment. The life he has lived, the sacrifices he's made, and the testimony he gives of his inner struggle enters into my heart and begins to argue with me. And that's how Jesus works, entering into people's hearts. To say, in this case, In this world, evil will come to you. Beware not to respond with evil thought or action or word because you will be defiled yourself. In the 17th chapter of Luke, he says, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to him by whom they come. Don't become part of that chain, a link in a chain of evil, a bit of water in a tube being siphoned out of the bucket of life. When Jesus told his disciples, take heed to yourselves, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times, forgive him seven times. I tell you, if he says, I repent, you must forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith then. That's a hard thing to do. He said in chapter 12 of Luke, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body, and after that have no more they can do to you. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. But even so are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Even the hairs of your head are no numbered, so fear not. You are of more value than sparrows you rather as an alternative everyone who acknowledges me before others I will acknowledge before the angels of God and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never be forgiven meaning that response to evil once you have turned away from good there's no help unless you choose to turn back. And finally, Jesus told the story to one young man who asked him, who is my neighbor? He said, imagine that one is bleeding by the side of the road near dead, and a priest who knows the law, and a Levite who knows the law, practice the law. 
in its entirety. The scripture is all to them, and they follow it scrupulously. They won't touch this bleeding, dying person for fear of becoming defiled. A Samaritan, who is rather liberal in their interpretation of scripture, imagine this person puts the dying man on his donkey and pays whatever cost to have him healed. Now, which of the three has been neighbor to the injured man? Got right into the heart of the person who said, I suppose the one who did mercy to him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. For what proceeds out of your hands and mouth, it is that which either defiles or praises God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God.